Welcome to Nairobi Chapel Embakasi. We grow deep to reach wide. So today's sermon is entitled or titled Abide in Me. Abide in Me. And our scripture for today is from the book of John. John chapter 15, verse 1 to 8. John 15, uh, 1 to 8. John 15, 1 to 8. Uh, David, in your phone, you can Wake up. So let me read, and I'll be reading from the New King James Version, uh, which says that I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, you know, as a cow is very hard to say that. He, <laughs> he who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them, uh, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. Amen? Amen. So, in this portion of scripture, uh, we are in what we call the upper room uh, discourse. John from chapter 13 to 17, this is when uh, Jesus and the disciples went to the upper room and they had the, the Last Supper. And so if you read from 13 to 17, it's leading us to the point whereby Jesus went to Gethsemane, the Garden of Gethsemane, to, to pray. So these uh, three, four chapters are known as the upper room uh, discourse. And you know, Jesus knew that he would be crucified the following day. So he was spending time with his disciples, just giving them uh, nuggets for life because they've been together. But a time is coming very soon that he'll be departed from them. And this is like, uh, you, know, you, you know the way, uh, for those who follow sports, a coach will be with the team in the locker room just before they go out for the game, just telling them those final things that they need to keep, to be able to take charge of when they go into the pitch. Because once the game starts, the coach is not there with them. So Jesus was really doing that for them, like giving them nuggets. And it reminded me of, of, of a true story of about a, a football coach, a very famous one, we all know him, Jose Mourinho. And he, he was being interviewed uh, and he talked about uh, this, talking to someone uh, before the game or during the halftime. So it was very interesting. He said that, and I'll quote, I remember one time when we went to play Kazan in the Champions League. In that match, I had all my strikers injured. No Diego Milito, no Samuel Eto'o. I was really in trouble. And Mario Balotelli was the only one. Now, Mario got a yellow card in minute 42 or 43. As we know, a, a football match has two halves, 45 minutes, 45 minutes. So Mario got a yellow card in 
minute 42, 43, just before halftime. So when I, I got to the dressing room at halftime, I spent 14 minutes out of the 15 allocated, speaking only to Mario. <laughs> so he was talking to this one guy instead of the other, the, the team. And I said to him, Mario, I cannot change you. I have no strikers on the bench. So don't touch anybody and play only with the ball. If we lose the ball, no reaction. If someone provokes you, no reaction. If the referee makes a mistake, no reaction. Mario, please. Minute 46, red card. <laughs> so once the match starts, the coach is there. So really, Jesus was talking to the disciples and telling them that a time is coming very soon that I will not be with you. So listen to what I'm telling you at this very moment. So in this chapter 15, it seems to be they were they had already started their way towards Gethsemane because the last words of chapter 14 are arise, let us go from here. So it's like they had left the, the upper room and now they are on their way to the garden of Gethsemane. Now going to Gethsemane, you had to pass through, uh, to pass where the temple was. You could see the temple as you're passing through it. And normally when it's Passover, uh, it's normally a full moon when it's Passover. And the temple during this week of Passover the doors and the gates were normally open for people to come in and out that week for the Passover. The temple had, uh, like, as, as a decoration, a golden vine. A golden vine. So you can imagine probably the full moon was right towards that decoration and it was shining. And so probably as he was telling them this story of the vine, they were just passing outside the, the temple and they were able to see this golden uh, vine. Now, uh, the vine, during those days, many people used to plant uh, vineyards, had vineyards. So probably if it was in our day and age in Kenya, probably the temple would have uh, a maize plant, so to speak. So the, the vine was actually a symbol for the nation of Israel. The vine was a symbol for the nation of Israel. There are many scriptures that have mentioned this, and there are quite a number, so I'll just mention one of them. Psalms chapter 80 verse 9 says that you have brought a vine out of Egypt. You have cast out the nations and planted it. And we all remember when we read through, as we were reading through the Bible, how God took the Israelites from the land of Egypt to the promised land. This is what he was talking about. He brought a vine out of Egypt. However, as you continue to read scripture, you'll see in several uh, instances whereby Israel was not really a good fruit-bearing nation. Many times they turned against God. If you read, you can see how many a times they were being sent for prophets. They were not listening to them. They were going to worship other idols, but God still called them his people. So also here, a number of scriptures have been able to show how the Israelites did not bear good fruit. But I'll just mention one. Isaiah chapter 5 Verse 1 and 2 says, Now let me sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved regarding his vineyard. My well-beloved has a vineyard on a very fruitful hill. He dug it up and cleared out its stones and planted it with the choicest vine. He built a tower in its midst and also made a winepress in it. So he expected it to bring forth good grapes, but it brought forth wild grapes. So as you can see, Israel was not uh, loyal to God, was not committed to God. 
God had called them my people, but they were not bearing the fruits that God wanted them uh, to bear. Now, Israel was quite a religious nation, Judaism, as we, as, as we know it. And so they had all these uh, uh, rituals and things they used, to, they used to follow, which are good, but I think they lost the essence of why they were doing those things, and those things became so preeminent. So if you've read the, the Gospels, you'll see how religious these guys were, especially the leaders, the Pharisees and Sadducees. These guys were with Jesus, literally with Jesus, but they did not know that they were with God himself right there. And in fact, they were, finding, they were looking for ways to, to just discredit uh, Jesus. So Jesus performs a miracle, and the issue becomes that he has performed a miracle on the Sabbath. As in, there is a miracle that has just happened. Why are you focusing on it has been performed on the Sabbath? So these guys lost the plot. They were so uh, strict on those rituals that they used to follow that they were so blinded. The fact that they were with Jesus and they could not see. Matthew 23 verse 13 says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter nor will you let those enter who are trying. So these guys as the leaders, they were actually blocking people from entering heaven, and they themselves were not even entering it. See? So Jesus, in verse 1 of this chapter 15, the first thing he says to the disciples is, I am the true vine, and my father is a vine dresser. So it's no longer Israel. Israel, they failed in their what they were called as the vine. But now Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. So it's not really religion. It's not really rituals or programs or anything. It is Christ. It is the person. I am the true vine. Verse 2 says that every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Now, for the longest time, uh, for many years actually, this verse used to, I used to struggle with it a lot because on one end it says, if I don't bear fruit, I'll be taken away. And two, if I bear fruit, I'll be pruned. And pruning does not sound nice. It does not sound nice at all, you know. So, you know, the worst thing that, than a bad ultimatum is two bad ultimatums. It's either this or this, and they don't sound good. So what, what I did, I really wanted to understand what God was trying to communicate in this verse. So I did a lot of study on it. And it's, it's interesting because if you, if you look at the original Greek manuscripts of this portion of scripture, uh, of course, the, this scripture we are reading is translated, of course, yeah? So, but the, 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 the original Greek, when they say every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, that takes away, the word used there is airo, A-I-R-O. And in most portions of the scripture, this word airo has been translated to mean lift up. Lift up. So if you take that lift up and say, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he lifts up. You know, as take away means like, I'm done with you, just remove it. And even if you look at how the vineyards used to be back in those days, and like right, okay, we don't have them much in, in our country, but right now 
there, I mean, there are sticks whereby the, the vines grow, you know. But in those days, they did not have that. So what they used to do, they used to place stones so that as the vines uh, grow, they don't fall into the dirt. The, the dirt. So they take stones and put stones on them. But of course, if there's a heavy rain or wind, or maybe an animal passes by, it can fall. It can fall. So as a vine dresser, they would come and lift that vine up and put it back on the stone. As it remains in the dirt, it's getting decay and it loses its fruitfulness. So what God is telling us is the branch that does not bear fruit, he actually lifts up and takes it to a place whereby it can bear fruit. Then the second part of this verse says that every branch that bears fruit he prunes. Now, similarly, in, in, Greek, in the Greek uh, manuscript, the word used for prune is katharsis. Katharsis. And katharsis is, is uh, translated in many portions of scripture as getting cleansed or purged. Getting cleansed or purged, cleaned. So, this is a bit more comforting, you know. If I'm not bearing fruit, God lifts me up to a place where I can bear fruit and he actually cleanses me to bear more fruit and purges me to bear more fruit. Now, for the people who attend to vineyards, they'll tell you that pruning is actually necessary. The actual pruning is necessary. But if you understand what God is doing, if, if God is pruning me in order to clean me, in order to make me clean, that is worth it. When pruning is done, the dead uh, wood is cut off. The dead wood is cut off. And by that, you're being cleaned to be able to bear forth much fruit. So for me, this portion of scripture started making sense that actually God is showing us his mercy, whereby we are not bearing fruit. He wants us actually to bear fruit. So he puts us in a place to bear more fruit and even cleanses us to bear even much much more uh, fruit. And if you go to the next verse, it seems to confirm this translation because verse 3 says, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. So it sort of confirms that translation that he's actually cleansing us to bear forth much fruit. And as we have seen, you're already clean because of the word, what we've been speaking of in the, in the last couple of weeks. It's actually this one offensive weapon that we're saying is powerful that actually cleanses us. Verse 4 uh, talks of abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in, in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So if, if let's say um, we are going into a mango season right now, hallelujah. Amen. <laughs> Now, where I come from, they are in plenty. They are in plenty. So assuming this week, next weekend, I go shags and bring each of you a branch and tell you guys, January, you'll be harvesting from this branch. Will you be excited about it? Will you be excited? I'm just bringing a branch. A branch. <laughs> Hey, no, I'm telling you, I'm bringing you a branch and telling you that the season, in January, that's when these mangoes will be ripe. You see, the fact that we've removed, I've removed the branch from the trunk, that's it. That's it. It dies. 
And that is what we are being told here, that unless you abide in me, you cannot bear fruit. Unless the branch is connected to the vine, to the trunk, that season will come and it will end and that branch will not have any fruit. Verse 5 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. So as we've seen, the only way to be fruitful is to be connected to the vine. To be connected uh, to the vine. And I don't know, have you ever seen uh, when a branch is becoming fruitful, have you ever seen it struggle? It doesn't struggle. Have you ever looked at a branch and seen veins? Seeing uh, manifesting fruits? Manifesting fruits? No. It just happens. Why? Because it is connected to the vine. It is connected to the vine. So it does not struggle in terms of bearing fruit. And this reminds me of a story of uh, uh, Jesus when he went to uh, Martha and Mary's house. And this is recorded in the book of Luke chapter 10, verse 38 to 42. So it says that now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him, this is Jesus, into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. Martha was serving Jesus, serving Jesus, but we are told she was distracted with much serving. Imagine you give of yourself and you're told you're just distracted with much serving. Mary, on the other hand, is down at Jesus' feet, seemingly doing nothing. But Jesus says that she actually has chosen what is better, what is better. And I am sure once Mary is through with Jesus, she would be able to serve him. And I think at times we take it the other way around. Is that, and, and you know, we, at times we serve and we end up getting burnt out. And we wonder why is it that I'm serving God and I'm getting this burnout. But maybe we are getting it the wrong way. That we are serving in, as we try to become fruitful. Whereby Jesus is calling us to abide in him and we bear fruit and out of these fruits we serve. That is what Jesus is calling us to do. And uh, we all, we all, most of us, if not all of us, we all have phones. And we know uh, in the evening when we get home, probably before we sleep we check whether we have enough charge. And we'll plug in that phone for it to get charged. We, we, we know the use of a phone. We use it for various things. For instance, today the roads were closed. I used Google Maps to try and find my way here. If my phone did not have charge, would that have helped me in any way? It would not have helped me. Regardless of how much expensive the phone is, if it does not have charge, it does not help you. So the phone needs to be plugged in in order to get this charge. And it's interesting because one of the lessons Jesus was giving the disciples is, now that I'll be gone, I will send a helper, the Holy Spirit. 
So physically they will not be with Jesus, but Jesus will still be with them through the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's interesting because even if you look at a charger, right now we're talking of wireless charging. You might not be physically connected to the power source, but we are, we are having forms of wireless uh, charging. And I think for guys, who, what do iPhone you have here? For iPhone guys, I think it makes, this message makes more sense because you're talking of Apple. Yeah? Type C. Type C, yeah. And, and we all know, we even walk with power banks just in case the juice runs dry, you know. Um, I mean, also, if, if, even if we look at uh, internet in itself, right now we just need a Wi-Fi password to log in. When, when it began, we all needed the Ethernet cable, a, a physical connection, you know. And so, sorry I'm, I'm, I'm diverting, but there was a meme I saw this week which was very interesting. You'll forgive me for, for diverting, yeah. <laughs> so it was, it was about, uh, you know, the way there's this thing that has come up whereby someone says something, then there's a translation. Yeah. I don't know if they've seen it. So there was someone says, I love you, but as a friend. And, and, and the translation is, Wi-Fi connected, no internet. <laughs> so I, I found that very interesting. I found that very funny. So sorry for deviating, but anyway, we come back. In verse 6, uh, we, the scripture says, If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. You remember those branches I brought you guys? By the time January comes, they'll be dead. They'll be dead. Yeah? So, if anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. I think it's important to see that it does not say that if anyone does not bear fruit. It actually says that if anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. As we've seen before, that if we're not bearing fruit, God is willing to help us to bear fruit. But if we, do, we are not abiding in him, we can see what the scripture does say. And you know, uh, it's very interesting that grape, the grape wood, so to speak, the only usefulness it has is in bearing grapes, bearing fruit. You cannot, you cannot make furniture from uh, grape wood. It is useless. That is the only purpose that it has. And that's why you're seeing they're just being thrown into the fire. So if we are not bearing fruit, what is our use? What is our use if we are not uh, bearing fruit? Verse 7 continues to say that if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. No, you're thinking of those things you want now saying these things I will ask them and I will receive them yeah? but the more you abide in Christ the more your desires and his desires are aligned if you've been a Christian for a while you will even notice that your prayers have evolved how you used to pray and how you pray now is very different I remember in primary school there's a time I asked God to help me to beat my classmates it's funny now, but at that time it was a serious prayer. <laughs> I wanted God to help me to beat up my classmates. But the more you grow, the more your, your desires are aligned. It's a journey. We are not yet there. There are so many things that we struggle with that are not aligned with God. But we are on a journey, and God is bringing us to the place whereby 
what God desires, we too are growing to desire those things. The Bible tells us that his ways are higher than us. Uh, our ways, his thoughts, far greater than our thoughts. He knows what is good for us. Something might be happening to us in a current situation and we are, we are questioning God. But God has the bigger picture and he understands as to why at this particular time we have to go uh, through that. So, we, if we abide in Christ, we are able to align our desires to him so that what we desire is actually uh, done. And I think Jesus modeled this for us just to bring in the aspect of prayer. We've talked of the word, now it's prayer. In, when he got to the Garden of Gethsemane, but now recorded in the book of Matthew, chapter 26, verse 39, it says that going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Jesus was just about to be crucified. At that point, he was in the point of anguish. You're told he was sweating blood. And what Jesus was praying was, if there's a way to redeem man without me having to go through this, please, let's use that option. That's what he prayed in, in chapter, I mean, verse 39. If we move to verse 42, as he continues praying, we are told that he went a second time and prayed, my father, if, he, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. So as you, as you see, the more he's praying, the more his will is aligned to the will of his father. And so this brings us to the second point of abiding. One, we've talked of the word of God, but the second one is prayer. God speaks to us through his word. We speak to him through prayer. And dare I say even fasting. I think this week we've gone through as a church just a, a, a week of, of, of prayer, uh, prayer and fasting. And really that is what God is telling us. It's quite, it sounds very simplistic, it sounds very basic, but if it was not as powerful, we would not be struggling with reading the word or struggling with prayer. But the fact that we struggle with this is because this is where the devil knows he will get hurt. And so he's trying to take that desire away from us. And you know, this story of abiding is not, is not like the Pharisees. It's not like a ritual we are doing unto God because we are required to do it. It's not a legalistic approach or a responsibility. It is a loving response to what God has done and what God is doing for us. I mean, when you have a friend and you love spending time with them, you do it because you enjoy their company. You don't do it because, ah, I meet Pastor Freddy Wiki. Ah, <laughs> I know it is necessary. Then, eh, then I check the box. You know, that is not friendship. But you look forward because when you're with that person, just fantastic, you're, you're in a fantastic space and you, and you just enjoy it. And similarly, when God tells us to abide, that is what he's asking of us. That we just enjoy his presence. We just enjoy what he tells us. We just enjoy him. Because he too is craving to spend time with us. If, even if you look at the, the gospel, why did Jesus come? It's really, God wanted to be reconnected with us. Again, he loves us. He loves our fellowship. And that is what uh, we too should be yearning for. So it's not really the rituals, as I said, or the good deeds, or the acts of service, uh, like Martha, but it's being fruitful. 
So we are fruitful in order to perform these acts of service. And it's not the other way around. Because many a times we perform these acts of service in our trying in our in our trying to be fruitful and we miss the mark completely. And what is this fruit I'm talking about? Galatians 5 22-23 even as I come to the end of today's scripture today's uh, sermon tells us about the fruit of the spirit and it says but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy peace long suffering, kindness goodness, faithfulness gentleness, self control, against such there is no law and note it says the fruit of the spirit, it doesn't say the fruits of the spirit, so I will not wake up today and say Leon is your goodness Goodness. Today is goodness day. It's a whole package, you know. And you know, even if you try and look at each of these attributes of the fruit of the spirit one by one, you will realize it is not it is not our default setting. Kindness. Utaingetua pa bypass. utakasirishwa. I'm sure you bear me witness on the road. Utakasirishwa. You know. The, the time I was dropping my daughter to school, and even she even asked me, "What's wrong, Daddy?" Because you can see, um, <laughs> there's something, there's something, you know. So I'm trying to tell him, "It's, it's that matatu." Then like matatu, which one? Then I point like, "Oh, it's so beautiful." <laughs> so these are not our default settings. Long suffering, like ah, I today I, I yearn for long suffering. You don't. You, you don't. But in order for us to be able to practice, because you've seen the fruit is really about acts of service, but you need to bear this fruit to be able to carry out these acts of service. So the only way is by abiding. The other one is self-control. Many a times we struggle with things, personal stuff, and we are trying to make ourselves right before we come to God. And God is telling us, no, 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 you've gotten it the other way around. I'll make you fruitful and will develop that self-control in you. And that is what God would desire to do in our lives. If only we can just grasp this concept. And you know, fruit exists not for itself. The fruit exists for the owner and for others. There is no way we have, right now we have mangoes somewhere saying, hey, mango season in a car. The fruits will not say that, you know. The fruits are for the owner. The owner of the vineyard will say, yes, my, my vines, my trees are now fruitful, you know. And they'll be used even to serve others for the nourishment uh, of others. So that is something that we need to bear in mind. Join us every Sunday from 11 a.m. at Trubani House off Airport North Road. Have a blessed week.